0: We are continuing in 1 John. We're actually wrapping up 1 John today. We're in chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 John. And um, just to remind you, this, this is uh, a brief little sermonette in the form of a letter being given uh, by John to a local body of believers who have been struggling with some sort of um, false teachers teaching things and and, and, pull and misleading people in their church, and that's led to division. And now you see this letter of encouragement. Um, it appears as if there's been some some teaching that's uh, questioning whether or not people can trust the gospel and trust that Jesus has saved them. So it's kind of this adding on to um, this concept, kind of a... a uh, Gnostic kind of idea that there's some sort of secret knowledge that people uh, are missing out on, and, and, and that's what this church has faced and now they're struggling with, a little bit with. So, so that's the context that brings us for our, uh, to our uh, scripture for today. Uh, so I, I'll read verses 18 through 21 of 1 John chapter 5. We know that everyone who has been born of God... And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Lord, I thank You for this time and I thank You for Your Word. I ask that You help us as we dive into the Scripture. Lord, help us to understand this encouragement that John is offering to his friends here, to his fellow believers, to this church. Lord, help us to understand that encouragement. Help us to understand that we are at war and that you have made a way for us. So help these truths to dive into our hearts and to change the very way we see ourselves and see the world. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so starting off here with this first verse in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So uh, there's a lot of things. This is what I'm going to take. This, just take a second to, to talk a little bit about when you open up the word. When you open up the word, you've got to make sure that you are not cherry picking one verse and, and, and putting too much emphasis on one verse. And I believe that all of the, the Bible is God's spoken word, right? So I believe that the Bible and its original, its, its original uh, manuscripts were infallible and that this is this, the, the word of God. It is sufficient. It is no error. This is God's word. So hear me when I say that, right? But there is a risk in taking God's Word and pulling out a verse or pulling out a part of a verse and saying, because of this, I'm going to expound out over and over and I'm going to make these huge claims. God tells us that, that you know, we, the, the, the appropriate way to open the Scripture is to make sure, and, and I've heard this said a thousand times, I've probably said it myself, uh, you know, that context 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 right so what is the what is the what is the passage inside of the verse what's the verse inside of the the chapter the what is the chapter inside the book what is the book inside the bible right so this we've got to make sure we we hone in on this and there's i'm going to use this particular verse as an example of the risks that can come if you kind of dive in on one verse and lean into it too hard So, the very first part of this verse says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Remember, it'd be really easy to look at this verse and say, I'm in trouble. I've sinned today, right? I'm in trouble. Does that mean I'm not really a Christian? Does that mean I'm not? in God's kingdom like what oh my gosh my salvation like you you could go that path with this passage that is not what this is saying remember in this very book four chapters ago 1 John 1 verses 8 through 10 said if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <clears throat> if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, so that's one risk, right? Is to, to take, pull out a little phrase, take it out of context and put too much weight on it. Another risk is to look at the two passages I just read, right? 1 John 1 and then 1 John 5, and say, oh, incompatible. We got a contradiction. Can't trust this. So first of all, remember that this, that God's word is perfect. It's true. So we don't, God's word doesn't have contradictions. It may have things that appear to be contradictions to us or paradoxical, right? Like I don't see how these two things can be true. The reality is there are lots of things that I don't understand how they both are true, but they still are, right? So those things, just because we don't understand it, doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, one of the most tragic things I have heard said in relation to this is someone saying, i I just can't be a believer because I don't understand how God works, or if that's the standard, you're never going to be a believer and And it's a tragic thing if that if that pans out to be true for that person it's that's a tragic, tragic loss. Um, I've also heard it said, you know, would you? Would God be God if you could understand Him? So, you know, those kinds of thoughts, we've got to be careful that we don't um, look. And again, people who want to uh, attack God's Word and, and discourage us and attack us will look for these places that they claim are inconsistent with each other and, and try to, to lean into it. So so, our, so I've talked about two ways not to read the scripture. So let's kind of talk about what it does mean. So this is referring again to this concept of being in sin, right? And and that's why, um, and different translations, I don't know if the translation you've got, different translations actually translate this a little differently. I look forward to, uh, I look forward to Samantha learning more and more Greek so she can help me understand some of these things. But it has to do with the tense uh, when it comes to the idea of um, does not keep on sinning. So it's like staying in a state, a, a kind of perpetual state of sin. So of course Christians sin. Of course they do. Anytime you meet someone that says they don't sin, you need to be careful with that person. Okay? Okay. Of course we sin. The, the difference is we are not perpetually in our state of sin. And that's because God has created in us a new being. That's a work of God that He has r- delivered us from our state of sin. All right. So, so continuing kind of the, the things that are a little hard to interpret here, um, maybe not as hard as last week's, but uh, last week's passage, But this second phrase here, but he who was born of God protects him. So there's actually two different ways people interpret this, and some of it has to do with the translation of this passage. This is a little tricky type of translation. There's a lot of Greek that can mean different things depending on the context. Um, and, and And I don't know Greek, but this is what I'm, as I have studied what little I've studied. This is Uh, One of the things that makes Greek um, interesting for our perspective. Uh, So this can be interpreted two different ways. This can be interpreted as Jesus. So this he who was born of God can either be Jesus. So this, in uh, I believe if you've got the, the NIV, you will see that it says, but the one who was born of God and one is capitalized. So that's, so the NIV is kind of saying, hey, contextually, I think that this is talking about Jesus. The ESV says, uh, interprets this as, but he who was born of God protects him. With this idea that it's re- referencing back to the him is referencing back to the he. And the he is the, the person, Right? So there's two different ways to interpret this, and I'm going to kind of run with both interpretations, right? Just to kind of talk, just talk through both of them. So first, the first interpretation is, what if it's us? So what if the he there is us? So, but he, so I'm going to, I'm going to replace the pronoun so that it makes it a little easier to follow. But you, who are born of God, protects yourself. Protects yourself. So... Um, so some people are going to, would, would shy away from this and say, oh, well, you know, I can't protect myself. Is that saying that I'm going to try to keep my salvation? And, and, uh, you know, I, I would have a very negative opinion if that was my view on what this is saying, but no, that, I don't think that's what this is saying. Scripture clearly calls for us as Christians to work. You know, my, one of my favorite, uh, favorite, uh, Scripture is from Proverbs, and, and it's to. the war horse is prepared for battle, right? But victory belongs to the Lord. This idea that I, there is work for me to do. I have responsibilities on earth. There's work for me to do, but I rely on Jesus, on God, for my salvation, for my victory, right? So there is work for me, and I have faith in God. And, and, and I'm going to return uh, kind of uh, with this concept of battle is going to become a common theme here for a big portion of the rest of this sermon. So so that's what I see here when, if we interpret this as being us. So James, other scripture that points to this, right? I just talked about not leaning too heavily into one scripture. So let me make sure I'm not guilty of that. James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So here we see this, again, this connection, this submitting to God. So God's in control, but then we are submitting. So there's this joint kind of process that's happening. And then this resist the devil, and he will flee you. There's this process of of we need to resist, right? Right? We need to take an active role in resisting the devil. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun set on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. So here we see again this, I, I have a role, I'm being given instructions, I'm being given orders. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Right? Don't let my anger fester because that's what happens when anger starts to fester, is we're giving the devil an opportunity to, to, to make progress in his struggle against us, right? We're making ourselves weak for the battle. John 14 verse 25, "These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you." this is Jesus speaking, but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you may think, okay Cody, why did you put that verse in here? like we're talking about you know God giving us orders and we've got a responsibility we have a duty to stand up, we've got our fighting orders. Why are you why are we talking about the Holy Spirit And that's because the Holy Spirit is the thing that gives us the strength to to do the things that we are to do. This isn't as simple as, oh, I have my job, and God has his job, so if I do my job, then God will do his job. It's not that simple, right? Because what's really happening is I am dead in my sin. I am at the bottom of the river dead. God has pulled me out of the river, breathed life into me, And then given and then given me the weapons and tools to fight and put in me the spirit to fight, the Holy Spirit. And now I go and fight with the help of the Holy Spirit. So there's no, you can't separate the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. Right? Because that what starts happening is we start thinking we're doing it. Well, look at me. I'm a pastor. I'm doing what God's told me to do. I'm looking. I'm serving God well, raising my family. I'm. I, aren't I doing this well? No, I am not doing this well. The Holy Spirit is giving me the strength to do what I'm doing. So. So that that is that that's the interpretation. If you if you interpret that scripture to mean that that it is you or the the listener that is being encouraged to. Um, to be the one to stand up, right? So now let's look at it and say, okay, okay what if this is Jesus? What if Jesus is the one? And, and like I said, the NIV says, uses the, the phrase, puts, translates it, but the one, capital O, who is born of God keeps him. So in that case, it would be, but Jesus keeps us, right? Which, quite honestly, I also think could be the interpretation of this. I think either of these work. And in this case, it would be Jesus protecting us from Satan. Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Let's look particularly at the, the one scripture, 1 Peter 5.8. And there's a bunch of scripture in here. I just wanted to keep it to just one that, that seemed to make sense. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he, <clears throat> that he may lift... You up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober, uh, sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for something to devour. So the, the reason I want to put this scripture in there is I wanted to remind you that this, this concept that whether it's us or whether it's Jesus defending us from the devil, the devil is a real enemy. And the devil is, is roaming around like a, like a lion wanting to devour someone. Um, if, if, God, if the devil was not under the restraint of God right now, we would all be dead. This, that, that is how powerful the devil is. We, we tend to think of God being really powerful and then... Uh, And and we kind of err in two ways, right? We either think God is as powerful as the devil and the devil is a powerful God and there's like this this fight going on, like this yin and yang thing and it's like they're both just barely there, but it's kind of like the balance and the force kind of thing, right? That's not correct. That's not correct, right? God is infinitely more powerful than than Satan. The other error we make is we tend to think of ourselves and the devil as kind of being on par like maybe he's got some magical powers but I'm pretty witty myself right and there's been a lot of interesting stories and movies written about this about you know people kind of getting one over on the devil and 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 this is also in error the devil is so much more powerful than we are intellectually physically supernaturally that if he were not constrained he would destroy us that that's what he would do that's what he wants to do that's what he's trying to do praise God he is he is restrained so and that's what the scripture talks about this this concept that the devil is out there and and we need to be alert and be sober minded and we need to Uh, cast our anxiety onto Him. There's a whole sermon there. Right? So much of our life is worrying about stuff. I can find myself doing this, and I don't really deal with anxiety a lot. I deal well with with stress. But we can look at the world, and we can think, oh my goodness, there's war over here, and there's war over here, and there's terrible things, and there's crime, and there's... Financial collapse, and oh, do I have enough money to pay my mortgage? And and like we're, we start worrying about all this stuff. Job is weird, and my, you know, my wife's health or my kid's safety. Like all, you could you could get to a place where you're worrying about all this stuff. And this scripture is clearly telling us: Look, cast your anxiety onto Him. Let Him handle it because He cares for you. So God cares about us. All right, verse nineteen we know that when uh, excuse me we know that we are from god and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one so there's there's two contradictory things here which is important these sound weird to have next to each other right like we know we're from god and the world lies in the power of the evil one like what but really this is a juxtaposition this is saying we are from god and we are gods and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That lies in is actually the same term that's reclines intimately with. So it's like when they used to sit at a table and eat. That's, that's, you would recline at table with each other. You'd almost be fellowshipping with each other. So that's what this is saying is, hey, we are with God, but the world is with the devil. This, we are at war, and there are only two sides. Um. Ephesians six eleven tells us to put on armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We are at war. We are at war, and there are only two sides. Matthew twelve verse thirty: Whoever is with this is Jesus speaking. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There are only two sides. For a long time, Christians have thought of this as well, there's evil, and there's you know the world, like evil devil, and then there's the church, and there's a lot of innocence in between, right? There's a lot of non-combatants in the middle. That's not true. You are either with the world, with the devil, you are reclining with the devil or you are with God. That's it. That's, that's the two sides. You are either with Jesus or against him. You are either gathering or you are scattering. And this is hard for us because we want to think of people like, yeah, but I know this good you know, atheist friend and, and I, I get it. And you should love those people but you can't let your guard down. You've got to realize that whether they know it or not, they are an agent of the enemy. And our job is to present them with the truth, right? Is to show them the, the real power of the gospel. We're to live it. We're to speak it. I'm reading uh, the... Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, screw Tape Letters. And it's, it's a, a, such an interesting concept, right? The, the whole idea behind the, the book is that it's a letters being written from a demon to his nephew. And he's kind of trying to train up his nephew on how to attack people. And it takes a little bit because you got to get over the fact that whenever he says the enemy, he's talking about God, right? So it's, it's weird from the, the point of view it's coming from. But once you kind of get over it, I, one of the things that's amazed me is it's helped me understand this idea that, it's, that, that there's only two sides in this battle and the enemy will use people who don't ever, would never think of themselves as being with the devil, right? But he'll use them to distract and, and to mislead and to, you know, and it's, it's, it's helped me think about that. I, I would encourage any of you to read The Screwtape Letters. It's, it's an amazing book. So this whole concept about kind of being at war, I found this quote from Charles, Charles Spurgeon. And, and I want to read this. So this is Charles Spurgeon speaking on this topic. We are foolish to expect to serve God without opposition. The more zealous we are, the more sure we are to be assailed. Glory be to God, we know the end of the war. The great dragon shall be cast out and forever destroyed, while Jesus and they who are with him shall receive the crown. Let us sharpen our swords tonight and pray the Holy Spirit to nerve our arms for conflict. Never battle so important, never crown so glorious every man to his post. Ye warriors of the cross and may the Lord tread Satan under his foot shortly. Those are powerful words. And a good reminder that this war is not going to be easy. John 16, tells us, I have said these things to you, that in, that in you you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' words are powerful there, but a good reminder that we will face trouble in this world. I caution anyone against listening to and putting too much weight into anyone who tells you that God wants you to be healthy, happy, and prosperous. That is not consistent with the gospel that I see, with the words that God tells me. We are at war, and the battle is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. So John closes this letter the same way he opened it, in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God, who has come and given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. So, He's closing it the same way He opened it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 4. John wrote, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are hearing these things so that our joy may be complete. So, Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. This is this promise, right? And that we are in fellowship with God through Jesus, And that's why He's eternal life, because through Him, we can fellowship with the Father and therefore have eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there are people who can listen to everything, for the most part, that I have said up to this point and say, Okay, I, you know, I disagree with you, whatever, on the details, but sure, great. But when I get to this verse, when I get to this John sixteen, uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we would have a problem. Because they would say, look, I'm fine with you having your little religion, and we do whatever you want to, fine but you're now telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to go to heaven? That's exactly what I'm telling you. And this claim of exclusivity so—it strikes so deep at the heart of our culture because our culture doesn't want to land on a truth. It wants to say, oh, that's your truth. Right? That's... Well, that, if that's what's good for you, i do that if that's what's good for you. But, but this is what I'm saying doesn't claim to be a truth. It claims to be the truth. And that is such a monumental difference. And this is why we are called to spread the gospel. This is why we are called to evangelize. By the way, when I say we're called to evangelize, I don't mean we are called to send a check to someone who's doing mission work. You might should do that. But we are called to evangelize. What I, I don't mean by that is we're not called to invite somebody to church so that they can hear the pastor talk about Jesus. You probably should do that. That might be great. But what I I am talking about is that we as believers are all called to live our lives in such a way that people see and hear the gospel from us. Doesn't matter if you're delivering pizzas, or running an IT department, or taking pictures, it doesn't matter. Could be doing maintenance, You could be raising your kids. You could be trying to obey your parents, trying to learn, trying to go to school, trying to learn how to play piano. You you could be doing all these playing football. You could be doing all of these things. And all of those things can be a route for you to live your faith, to show the gospel in the way you live your life and to speak the gospel into the people that God puts in your life. And you may say, well, easy for you to say, Cody, right? You're you're a pastor, you're supposed to do this kind of stuff. I could get fired if I say this. Yeah, you could. Yeah, so can I. I joke at work all the time that I will one day be fired for what I believe. But we're at war And we've got to remember that. Every time we wake up, every time we... What what is my duty today? And and soldiers, one of the amazing things about soldiers, we see this in... I've been blessed to have uh, some men who have served our country uh, be some uh, friends of mine. And one of the amazing things about them is... When, when I talk with them about their experience in the military, is you know, most of the military men now, most of them don't go to war. Like, there's not a lot of people who have gone to war. Well, I have some friends that have, right? A good friend of mine who uh, served in Afghanistan. And he talks about it. He's fought in war. like People shooting at him, him shooting at people. He's a brave man. But he talks about how he trained more than he fought. And that, that's amazing to me. He trained more than he fought. And that's why he fought as well as he did, because he trained like he did. We see in Afghanistan right now, one of the, these, these military, and again, I probably pay way too much attention to this than I should. But we see soldiers who don't train. And when they come up against soldiers that do train, it is such a radical difference. So the United States and other NATO countries took Ukrainian soldiers and trained them. We took them off of the battlefield for months and months and months and trained and trained and trained. And when those soldiers hit back to the, to the field, it was like a different army showed up. That's the power of training and that's what we should be doing for our part of the war. As we, we've got to train every day so that when the enemy shows up, when it's time for battle, we are ready. We have the armor on. We know how to use our blade, which is the word. And we're ready to go. So I, I would call on you to prepare every day for battle. You won't have to fight every day, but you need to prepare every day so that when you do fight, you're ready. All right, so the last verse in 1 John comes out of nowhere. It seems kind of almost random, like tacked on at the end of here. Hey, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What? That's, we've not, I don't think we've talked about idols the entire book. So first of all, let's start with little children. It is not necessarily referring to little children. This is an affectionate, diminutive form of this, of this word. So it it's literally means little children as in like people that are close to me, like, um, like, like people, dear ones, right? So in some translation, it actually says dear little children because of that. So, so it's talking to these, this church that is special to him. And, and his f- closing words are, keep yourselves from idols. Well, this is clearly... So first of all, this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So, so this is clearly, hey, so yes, they should avoid idols. I don't think he's referring to little statues of of man-made gods here. don't think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is that any false idea about our faith are idols. This idea that anything we put up here on level with God, so we have our correct understanding of the faith, anything we put up there that doesn't belong up there becomes an idol. So some of the things he's talked about in this book is who is Jesus? Call it a Christology, right? That's the big fancy term for it. But all it is is who do you believe Jesus to be? Well, he talked about this, that there are people, these false teachers are misleading people about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God sent here to die in our place, so that we may have salvation. All right, another thing they've talked about is this live lives of sinful indulgence. Remember that we saw that in this, in, in this book that people are saying, yeah, you can do whatever, just live your life, just do whatever. That's another idol that we can let into our lives, this idea that, well, I can do anything I want to because I'm saved anyway. And, and I mean, if God's already forgiven my sins, I can just do Whatever. No, that's, that's another idol that, can, that we can set up in front of God and serve instead of God. Uh, other false teachers, just following false teachers in general. You know, this is a, a, this is a hard thing. It came up in our prayer time today. You know, this idea that I'm going to, you know, we've been going to this church, my kids are connected to this church, and, but I know what they're teaching from the pulpit isn't right. But I mean, there's so many other good things about this church. I don't know. That, that can be an idol. Are you, are you setting this church up or this teacher up in a place in your life where only God should be? I, I think that that's a, that's a real risk. I think that's one of the things John is alluding to here. And I think the last thing that I'm going to point out, and there could be many, many other idols, many other things, but something else is this whole concept of sowing dissent into God's church. This wanting, I want this to be the way I want it to be, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to raise the little stink to try to get it to be that way. That is that, that can become an idol. You know, Wanting church to be the way you want it to be. That can be an idol. In, in referencing the screw tape letters again, I did not think I was going to refer to them at all, let alone twice. There's one of them that talks about the, the, the target of the nephew has started going to church. And his uncle is saying, oh, this is, this is not good, but don't worry. We, have, we still have some plans. We can, there's some techniques we can use here. One is just plant, you know, try to get him to not go, try to distract him and try to make him feel like he's too smart for that and that this is for stupid, unsophisticated people. But if you fail at that, if he's going to go, that's okay. Lean into it. Go with him. Whisper in his ear all the things that are distractions, all the things he doesn't like. Maybe the temperature's not right. Maybe the music's not right. Maybe... Maybe someone's a little too loud and off pitch next to them. And maybe convince him that this is distracting him and that he should find, maybe he doesn't like the tone of the, of the sermon. Maybe he doesn't agree 100% with the interpretation of something, but it could go either way. He'll lean into that. Because the best thing we could do is get him to be visiting all these churches to become a connoisseur of churches, a critic of churches. Trying to find the perfect one because he never will, and we'll just keep him running around and that way he'll never be good any good to the enemy, in this case to God. so so that I think, is another one of these idols, like we, we can make church an idol, which man, you humans are so good at making idols. we can make anything an idol it's amazing. so so um, kind of wrapping this up, I think that, you know, we need to be intentional with this last little phrase, children, keep yourselves from idols. We've got to be intentional about that. We've got to pray, God, show me what the idols are in my life. What am I, what am I putting up there? What am I elevating slowly? So maybe it's not there yet, but it's, it could get there. Show me where I need to have my guard up. So I would challenge you to pray that this week for yourselves.